Blog Talk Radio. He's a man who's going to tell you like it is. You can never be afraid of something that you don't know about. Now that's ignorance, and for us, ignorance is not bliss. He's a man who's not afraid to talk about the real issues and not skate around it. Don't you think it's about time that you got tired of where you are? I mean, you have got to be ready for God to do something for you and let him move. He's a man who loves his God, his country, and his people. I'm going to be honest with you. I'm not too fond of the political state of the world, and particularly the U.S. as it is right now. But if you want change, you have to make it happen. You can't keep settling for less than what you ought to have. He's a man who's sowing seeds of life, love, and liberation to anybody who's willing to hear. There comes a point in time where everybody just needs to shut their mouth up and listen to God. And God is the one who will lead us, and God is in all truth. He'll tell us everything we need. That covers every area, every facet, from politics to church to you name it. God's got it covered. He's a man that seeks the heart of God for the people of God. You're listening to Zero Today with Pastor Lorenzo Neal. Good morning, and welcome to Zero Today. I am your humble host, Pastor Lorenzo Neal, hailing from Cajun Land, USA, here to present you with seeds of wisdom, insight, empowerment, and liberation. We're promoting a knowledge that is engaging and transforming, and it is our hope that every time we are on this show, that we are empowering you to knowing and impacting the world around you. And as always, you can join us on this Illuminating journey. Several ways you can do it. You can call 347-237-5230. That is the number to get your thoughts, uh, commentary, dialogue live on the air. If you'd like to do that. If not, you can also go to our Facebook page, Zero Network on Facebook, and you can share your thoughts there. Uh, also, uh, there's uh, links to archive shows, so you can go back and listen to archive shows. The last seven years, we've been on the air now um, continually for seven years. Bless the Lord, oh my soul. We're glad about that. And always, uh, also, uh, you can follow us on Twitter. The show handle is at Zero Radio, and my personal handle is at Prophesy, P-R-O-P-H-E-P-S-I. Um, you should, can send me an email, Pastor Lorenzo Neal at gmail.com. Um, the chat room is open, so you can go to the chat room and you can, got, you can get your dialogue in there also. So we're glad that you have joined us. So if you're listening for the first time, welcome you. We thank you for listening. For those who are long-time listeners, thank you for your prayers, your thoughts, and your support of this show over the years. We appreciate everything that you do. You listen, the feedback that you give us. We try to do as much as we can. And we appreciate you for it. Um, it's a lot, not a lot I really want to talk about, but um, uh, pretty much um, I, I saw something interesting over the last couple of days, and I thought I'd talk about that. And it refers to the sacred versus the secular argument uh, stemming from, uh, you probably read Marvin Sapp, his comments about um, some mm-hmm. comments he posted on Facebook. We're going to talk about that. And the news that Snoop Dogg, the rapper, is considering doing a gospel album. So, that, yeah, that's uh, those are the two things that we're going to talk about. You know, the secular versus the sacred. Is there, um, you know, where's is there a gap? Is there the one right 
right or wrong way to approach this? Uh, how do we do it? You know, the historical relevance of this argument or this, um, yeah, this argument uh, that's been going on for much longer than Stoop and Marvin. So we're going to talk about that. But uh, before we go into any headline news, let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we bless you. We thank you for another opportunity to do this show. We thank you for gracing us with your mercy and your compassions that don't fail, but are new every morning. Now let the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be acceptable in your sight, God, my rock and my redeemer. This is my prayer in the name of Jesus the Christ. Amen. All right, so let's get into some headlines right quick. Donald Trump. Uh, president Trump is making headlines. Of course, he's always making headlines. He was making headlines before he was president. But the headlines regarding collusion in whatever manner it may have been or may be or may not have been continues to make the headline um, and keeps him in the people's thoughts <laughs> uh, before the people's faces, um, whatever you, however you want to put that. Uh, but I don't want to talk about I don't want to talk about his son and uh, Donald Trump Jr. and all the things that surrounded it. I want to talk about the the evangelical presence that is there uh, around President Trump. Um, just recently, he um, he had a visit from um, evangelical leaders who um, stopped in to pray for him or pray over him, however you want to put it. And um, I came across this story in the Christian Post, and you can go there to the Christian Post and find the story. And it basically says that um, uh, just a few days ago, um, President Trump and Vice President Pence uh, were in the Oval Office, and there were several top – they say top. I don't say top, but there were several um, evangelical leaders – who met with Trump and prayed with Trump. Now, uh, evangelical preachers or preachers or spiritual leaders meeting with presidents is nothing new. It's not is um, it's been going on for a while, um, and not always in this particular context. But what makes this situation unique? Um, again, what really makes this whole the whole relationship with uh, these evangelicals and Donald Trump unique is the fact that uh, during the campaign of President Obama, they were questioning his faith. A lot of them were the ones leading the charge in the birther movement and in the um, Obama is a Muslim movement. They, uh, a large part of them, and I'm speaking in generalities, but for the most part, a large part of those persons who identified and do identify as evangelical Christians were among, amongst the, um, the, the, ba- the vast majority of those who were opposed to President Obama for one reason or another. It was his stance on um, same-sex marriage, and of course I can understand that, or it was his stance on immigration, it was his stance on health care. Um, or it was just the fact that he was a black man. Might just throw that out. <laughs> but whatever the case was, you saw a lot of opposition to them. And those who did pray for him, those who did meet with him, who also identified as evangelical, were considered 
liberals, not true Christians, or you know, had ulti- ultimate. Uh, they had um, ulterior motives, and so they were not properly aligned with Scripture. They were not properly aligned with the Christian faith. They were not properly aligned with the Western Church and stuff. You know, all kinds of things. These were not true Christians. Those who 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 did so with um, President Obama. Uh, and then you fast forward to President Bush, and, and that's where we really saw a great deal under President Reagan and President Bush. We saw a great deal of um, evangelical Christians, including the former president of the National Evangelical Association, National Association of Evangelicals, Ted Haggard. We saw him in the presence of Oval Office. Uh, as one of President George W. Bush's advisors, spiritual advisors, um, and how uh, they rallied behind the fact that George W. Bush was a professing Christian and how he shared his testimony of being born again on the national stage during one of the presidential debates and how that, that, rally, that caused to rally behind George W. Bush and use him and you know he put forth the idea of uh, compassionate conservatism, uh, and you know I'm not even going to go there. But the idea that this this group of Christians now are supporting Donald Trump, who by by any other standard would have not would have been deemed un unworthy, unable, and unqualified. To be in the position morally Morally he would have been deemed Unqualified And yet they gave him a pass but In spite of his bigotry In spite of his uh, language toward women In spite of his All kinds of things we can go on um, They gave him a pass You had Dr. Jeffers Who was the pastor of the First Baptist Down in, in um, Dallas Who uh, aggressively Supported and endorsed Donald Trump, but would not do so for Mitch Mitt Romney because he was a Mormon. And Donald Trump himself, and I, I've spoken this on the show before, Donald Trump himself said that he did not believe he needed to be forgiven for anything. Uh, he didn't pray. Now, Donald Trump grew up in the church. He did. He grew up, and he grew up in the church of uh, Dr. Norman Norman Vincent Peale, who is renowned for positive thinking, he grew up in that church. His faith, he identifies as a Presbyterian, I believe, if I understand it correctly. Um, though he's not spiritual, uh, you know, the famous two Corinthians, <laughs> I laugh at that all the time. But here these persons are. Uh, uh, assertively and aggressively promoting and defending and being apologetic, uh, acting as apologists for Donald Trump uh, because they believe, you know, there's one senator, one preacher who who said that he's Donald Trump is God's miracle. You know, this is what God preordained. And, I, you know, if you're going to go there, you might as well say that Obama was preordained, Bush was preordained, Washington was preordained, all of this was preordained. You just can't, you know, can't just say because of the um, current environment uh, of divisiveness within the country that 
this man is now God ordained. But you know, there was a preacher, well, not a preacher, but a uh, a rabbi. Um, I believe it was a rabbi. I can't say, but I, I, if I recall, I was reading in um, a an article in Charis, Charisma magazine where he prophesied, where he said um, Isaiah forty five. I believe that was. I can't recall. It's, it's a scripture about uh, Cyrus. Uh, I can be mistaken. I, I don't know. Uh, but anyway, was is that you know God used a pagan person to bring deliverance to the Israelites. And God did that on a number of occasions in the Old Testament. And they're selling, they're using that analogy that God ordained man who will lead America out of its corruption, lead America out of its disruption. And because God has so sanctioned this moment that God will bless the work of President Trump. Now, I'm all for that. My problem is I don't believe Donald Trump is even allowing trying to allow God to do anything. <laughs> I don't even think he wants – if God would have made America great again, I believe if God did it miraculously, if, if overnight every, every problem in the country was solved, if overnight health care was solved, and everyone could every every person could have the insurance that they needed, and it would be <laughs> applicable applicable to everybody, both universal and personal, or whatever it may be. If God provided that miracle right now, I doubt very seriously if Donald Trump would give credit to God, take credit for it. He's taking credit for everything. He's taking credit for things that he hadn't even that were happening before he was even in office. And so he, he's taking credit for all of that. And so I doubt very seriously that he would take credit. He would give credit to God <laughs> because he would. He just wouldn't allow it. He he'd be he 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 he'd be like yes yes I we all saw uh, what God did, but you gotta admit it was a bigly thing. It was really bigly. It was great. Um, but you see how he. He did it while I was here, so it was just because of me that God did it. So I'm, you know, I'm just saying, you know, he didn't do it under Obama, and he didn't do it, Clinton did me. So you know, you just gotta, you just gotta say how good God is with President Trump. Isn't it good? Come on, everybody. You know, I know that was horrible. (laughs) I wasn't even trying to imitate, but you, you understand what I'm saying. So the idea that these evangelicals are rallying behind President Trump. Is 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 wonderful, wonderful, because it gives them something to to do. <laughs> but I again, you're talking about a group within itself. And in, 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 as as this, I'm, I'm mainline Protestant, but because we believe in being born again, we are con- we fall under that umbrella of an evangelical Christian. Then, then the problem then becomes: What does that look like? What, you know, what are they praying for? What do they want? What do they believe it should what should be again? And, and I go back to um, the premise that some of these same folk were saying President uh, Obama's Christianity was not evident enough for them to say that he was the one. Trump's 
evidence. At least we saw Obama go to church. We knew he worshipped. We haven't seen Trump do that since he's been elected. We have not seen President Trump accept at the prayer breakfast, and even at the prayer breakfast, <laughs> at the prayer breakfast, um, he was praying for praying praying for Arnold Schwarzenegger because the ratings of the television show was so bad. He it was irreverent. So I said all that in in my little rant. Um. Because you know the idea that these guys, uh, these these pastors, and there's nothing wrong. I pray, you know, we invoke prayer for for uh, on behalf of President Trump and his cabinet, and our governor, and our mayor, and all of our elected officials on every level of government. We do that every Sunday, um, with the hope that those persons would. Um, who are believers. Not all of them are believers and they're entitled to that, but those who are Christian believers in particular, that those who are Christian believers would um, would turn their hearts to the Lord and to the people and that they would not be about political power, which is unfortunately what has all happened. If you, you know, this, this last generation and I say generation because going back from the time of President Clinton over the last 20 years you know from the time of President Clinton his second inauguration his second term until this moment it's been about power who can retain power when Clinton was in office it was you know it was not quite it was a Republican held Congress when Bush was in pre- Congress, Bush was in power as president. It was a democratically held Congress. When Obama was, it was a democratically held Congress and presidency. And now we have a Republican held uh, Congress and presidency. All they're trying to do is, it, at least it comes across as all they're trying to do is revert everything that was done in the previous administration. So, but, um, the the whole thing about this is that while while some Republicans are uh up as a, this great savior, you know, some Democrats did that with Obama um in his first term, the reality is we are still in need of people whose heart is for God. However subjective they may be, that may be, uh, their heart is for Something greater than themselves and the position which they possess. That that's that's what I I I did not intend to stay that long <laughs> to rant long over that. But pray for POTUS. Pray for all the uh, disruption that is happening in his early presidency. <laughs> oh boy, he's unraveling and and what it may. If there is or is not anything that they are saying is definitely, definitely going against <laughs> what could be happening. You know, we're not being, we're not having a productive country, country at all. Anyway, I'm going to take a break, and when I come back from this break, um, get into the subject of the day, the sacred and 
or the secular spectacle. What is it really all about? <laughs> so I'll be back right after this. almost everything, so we know how to cover almost anything, even mermuts. And we covered it February 3rd, 2016. Talk to farmers. We know a thing or two because we've seen a thing or two. We are farmers. Bum, 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 bum. Yeah, at first I thought it was just the stress of moving. Hey, who's using that? Think we own stock in the electric company? I will turn this car around right now! There's nobody back there. I was becoming my father. <clears throat> it's been an adjustment, but we're making it work. You know, Progressive.com makes it easy for us to get the right home insurance. Progressive can't protect you from becoming your parents, but we can protect your home and auto. I'm your humble host, Pastor Lorenzo Neal. We're glad that you joined us today, and uh, we're excited that you're listening. I want to encourage you, if you have not done so, I want to invite you to visit my website, LorenzoTNeal.com, and go and uh, order a copy of my book, Breaching the Family. I haven't been promoting it much, but I, you know, I got a couple of that's uh, uh, being prepared uh, for publishing now, so you'll be hearing more about those as time comes. But um, I tell you, you know, I, 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 when I was writing that book, it was a wonderful opportunity for me to share and be a bit transparent, uh, and I knew you enjoyed. So go get a copy of that, A Breach of the Family. I'm telling you, you're going to love that. So that's my uh, day. Um, so let's get a good day. Um, sacred and secular. So the two things that came out that I, I saw that was really interesting to me. One was a post by 
uh, Bishop Marvin Sapp, and his statement was about secular artists and gospel artists, and particularly after Jay-Z released his single, uh, 444, and it has already been certified platinum, and it hadn't even been released as a full album. Just a single went platinum already, I think within a week, because Jay-Z um, has his um, title, I believe that's the name of it, uh, his music service title, and so uh, the single. And I listen to it. I really like it. It's nice. It's, it's got a nice little groove to it, and you know, it 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 brings persons like me who likes integrated genres of music. And Jay Z did that masterfully, you know. And yeah, I actually understood what he was saying for Jay. <laughs> I I have a couple of his that you know. I got the blue and the black. I think. I, anyway, <laughs> I digress. I, and I didn't buy them. Some you know, someone gave them to me. They thought I liked some of the uh, tunes on there for when I was a band director. But anyway, I, I digress. So Jay-Z sells over a million copies of his single within a week being released on his uh, title, um, so, so, title uh, program. Uh, out, I, y'all know more than me. I don't know. And so Marvin Sapp goes to Facebook by saying if people as much as they support secular artists, gospel artists would, and and I know I'm, I'm really really paraphrasing. I'm not pulled directly. You can go to several places. Places uh, I know it's on uh, Ann Brock's site, the Old Black Church. You can probably find it on some uh, some some other places. It's been shared all over Facebook. Um, and so he, in essence, basically laments the fact that. Um, a secular artist can, you know, their lifestyle can be questionable. They, you, they know, you know that they're, you know, the intention, and you know what the music is supposed to do. You know, it's, it's not, it can inspire, but the whole point of secular music is to get you to shake your behind and buy records, basically. You know, and he said that those same persons who would which is those secular music, uh, support the secular musicians and artists and all of those, uh, do not do the same. And gospel music artists are struggling because not only do they have to have an image to maintain, um, but the music, the quality of the music also is is not the same, you know. Um, the uh, And it's now, but think about it. Thirty years ago, gospel music was relegated. You had a few breakout artists, uh, like Rance Allen and the, uh, uh, the staple singers who went from gospel to secular. And I'm gonna talk about that in a second. Like, um, um, who was some uh, Kurt Franklin, <laughs> who you know still. I, we don't know what John where he is. <laughs> we we don't you know. There are others, and we could go on and on about this. 
what difference you know in Fred Hammond. Fred Hammond's a crossover. And and then we think about the secular artists who cross over into gospel. Think about think about uh oh and of course the Queen of Soul, the Queen of Soul herself, Aretha Franklin, began as a gospel artist. Her father, C. L. Franklin, you know, <laughs> his 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 whole ministry was unique and he entertained secular artists and provided them an outlet for their spiritual ex- expression. And so, um, and 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 so you know, and then she crossed over, basically, from the church, the um, secular ramp. And then we think about those who were strictly gospel, like Mahalia Jackson, um, Marian Anderson. Of course, you know that goes back <laughs> way back in the day. Even though Marian was more opera than gospel, uh, the uh, spirituals were part of her repertoire. You know, and she sang a lot. She integrated a lot of hymns and things and spirituals into her music, even though she was more famously known as an operatic singer. Um, and um, Mahalia, of course, strictly gospel, no secular at all. She she was strict about it. Yet she had crossover effect, you know. Um, she had crossover appeal. I Ah. Um, Lord, it just y'all know who I'm talking. Shirley Caesar. Shirley Caesar has had crossover appeal. Um, but for a lot of time, for for a lot of her career, that did not translate into financial success. You know, she she got most of financial success in her latter years, and largely because she was also a pastor. You know. She committed to the gospel preaching ministry, and the Lord blessed and prospered her both careers, you know, as pastor and as as a, um, as a as a, a singer. So we can go on and on. We can go backwards and forward. There, there's a lot, and I'm not even touching on. Uh, well, I'm going to touch on Al Green <laughs> uh, because that he, you know, he's he is one character. Much like Kurt Franklin, you don't know what you're gonna get when you go to a concert sometimes. <laughs> um, but so while he's lamenting that those persons would question the character of the secular artists and allow them to allow them to do what they do and still buy their music without saying, "Well, you know, this person used to be a drug dealer, so or you know, still kind of shady or." You know they're flaunting their their affairs, or you know they're always in a tabloid, but we still support them because the the argument is that well they're secular, we expect it. Yet on the spiritual side, on the gospel side, um, we want all the the artists to mean what they say and to sing what they mean and to live, you know, the right life, and reflect the gospel. And of course, we know that is not always the case. It is not always the case. We we know that oftentimes those persons in the gospel music industry are just as flawed, if not more flawed, than those in the secular. We know we know of those persons who struggled with uh, sexuality, addictions, even belief. Some there were a lot of gospel singers who really didn't believe what they were singing. 
we think about, you know, I think about, we think about the tragic deaths of some of these singers, like Sam Cooke, who um, started off in gospel and moved over into secular and, you know, lost his life tragedy, tragically. Um, what's the name of that blues singer? <laughs> There's a lot of blues singers uh, uh, were, were in the church that, you know, no longer, that, that left the church for secular fame, secular fame. We can go on and on. We can talk all about it. It's nothing new. But the, what he raises up, what what he raises up is the idea that there should be a delineation, or there should not be a delineation uh, between music artists. Um, he has had crossover success with his hit uh, "Never Would Have Made It." You know, Marvin Sapp. That song gets played on secular stations just as much as it gets played on gospel stations. Um, he is recognized in both, you know. And, and, uh, for example, you know, when you think about the secular secular music awards, the Soul Train, Black in particular, the Soul Train Awards, the uh, BET Awards, the um, what's the other ones? There, there are a lot of them um, that these artists get to be recognized. The Grammys. They get to be recognized for not for the not because they are um, a particular genre uh, or you know that that is part of it, but it's largely you know, these. It's about appeal. You know, the song could be in a genre, but appeal to a crossover audience, get more sales and win an award. Uh, for example. I think about the fly, the five blind moors of Alabama, uh, and I'm talking about um, the more the, there are two groups, different groups, but uh, the more popular one. Those guys can also I would also say they are successful crossover artists because although they were strictly uh, gospel during the doo-wop years, they they prospered. And now, as there is a nostalgic effect of the doo-wop music, they've seen a resurgence in their um, in their and their concert. Of course, they've been touring for the last sixty plus years, most of them together. Uh, I think maybe one edition, but uh, one or two, you know, editions. But for the last sixty plus years, they've maintained an audience that is intergenerational. And multi-ethnic, so it ain't just black folk. They're not no. They're no longer doing just the Chitlin circuit. You know, they're they're in these theaters, grand theaters, where uh, people of every race, every faith, <laughs> every social economic class, listening to them sing music from yesterday. You know, yesteryear in a style that was great. And so. All of that, the the, dif- the differentiation of the, the the genres, the sacred, very fine line. And I, I bring in this argument. I bring in this argument. Um, before <laughs> the 20th century, before the invention of the phonograph and the radio and all of that stuff, you know, <laughs> you, 
most of the musicians had patrons and and a great part you know in the in the 14th, 15th, 16th, and 17th century, a great part of uh, of uh, music composition came through a funding of music composition came from the church. You know, secular music was not was frowned upon way back then. You know, Renaissance and uh, the Renaissance time, and you go you. The Baroque period, jazz, Bach, one of the most famous composers of all time, uh, wrote pieces specifically for the church because the church was his patron, you know, and they 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 paid him to compose music to reflect the beauty and the magnificence of the church. That was sacred music. Today we play it as secular music. It's classical. You don't hear it played in the church. Well, there's some churches that still play it. Uh, in particular, I know I still love to hear Yesu Joy, My Desire. I would love to hear if I had the means and if I had the, the right group of people and the instruments and musicians, I would, I would play that every Sunday. <laughs> but, you know, that was sacred music in that time. And by the the turn of the 19th century, as you had composers like Schumann and Schubert and things like that, and they were they were branching out from the sacred and more secular as the romantic uh, period of romanticism and uh, music. The time of Beethoven and all those. In, 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 excuse me if I'm missing my my <laughs> musical time period. You know, I made you the music, so I, I used to have all this down pat. But you know. The, the diversion, the, the devolution of the sacred to the secular. At one time, what what we what was sacred sacred then we now consider secular or classical. And we'll go to a symphony concert, orchestra concert, and listen to greats being played, great music being played that was only intended to be played in the church at one time. But now it's played for secular audiences. Um, so it, it's, it's always been, music has always been its own, its own being. Never, ever has it been able to be contained, boxed in. Because as a musician myself, I've never, even in some of, I've never shared any of my musical compositions, um, um, but I draw from all the sources of the universe and different genres and I, I, I you know it's music so it may sound some way and I, you know what's funny I never forget this argument I never forget this argument Art Kelly Art Kelly shortly after his 12 play album came out and I know y'all know about 12 play don't act like y'all don't know about 12 play y'all know about 12 play well, there were several singles on that album that had, well, most of his music had gospel overtune, over, you know, overlay, overlap. His chord structure was basically gospel. And he mentioned, and, and I, I can't verify this or validate this, but I, I know, I, I remember, I recall it, saying that he knows that his music sounds like gospel. And he defended the fact that he used 
you know, he was heavily influenced by church music, sec, uh, sacred music. And everybody who is anybody back in the day, if you were asked them, when, <laughs> well, how did you start singing? It used to be, well, I started singing in the church. That's the way it is. So, so <laughs> the funny thing is, you know, we try to make this great differentiation betwixt the two, and it brings me up to the next topic of Snoop Dogg, or, or not topic, but the, the next thing of Snoop Dogg. And, and I got this again from the Old Black Church website, um, and Brock, you can go there, and uh, she has it posted on her website. Uh, but Snoop is contemplating making a gospel album, and whatever reason, some folk were saying, you know, he's gonna go to hell for doing that. <laughs> I, I, I'm just being general. <laughs> you know, they're saying you have no business even thinking of making a secular artist, or making a, a a gospel song. You are, you are beyond reproach. I mean, <laughs> beyond. Uh, not beyond reproach, he he got that. <laughs> but you know, you ain't saved. You ain't you ain't you you can't do it. But what people forget is that Calvin Broaddus, better known as Snoop Dogg, his mother is a preacher and a pastor. Has been a preacher and a pastor. Was a preacher and pastor when he started his career. Snoop, just like everybody else, grew up in the church. As a matter of fact, I believe, honestly, you know, I believe, and I said this when I first heard, when I first heard him and I saw him, I was like, that dude looked like a preacher. Now, he was thugged out preacher, but I was like, he looked like, you know, he had the aura. And I guess only preachers can see the aura of other preachers, but I saw the aura, and I still see it. Every time I look up, I still like, yeah, it's on him. It's on him. He He's running from it, or he may... You know, he may be expressing it in a different manner, but it's on him. I don't know if he's ever expressed that publicly. And I think about, I think about um, DMX. DMX publicly went on record and said, you know, um, that while he was in the streets, you know, this woman prophesied to him and said that he was a prophet, and that you know he'd do this, this, and that. And it was reflected, and I wrote a whole research paper just on one song of DMX in grad school because I understood – I mean I would listen to his lyrics, and I was like, God, Lee, this dude is is deep in what he's saying. Now, if he could just transliterate that into a gospel message, you know, thousands or hundreds or millions of people would come to Jesus Christ. I'm like, this is – this right here, what he's saying is – and you know the presentation is so raw and all of that. Yeah, and I, I thought about that. I thought that way for a lot of rappers like KR, sorry, KRS-One. I still think, you know, that that there's a mandate on him. There's that on him. But hey, and you know you have the you have um, Reverend Run of Run DMC um, and his successful. Transition from rap to ministry, and now the transition into a broader audience as Reverend Ron. You know, so 
it's it's the point I'm making is that there there's a very 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 fine line in what we define or we we should be defining music. Now lyrics are a different thing, and I think this is the key. You know, music in and of itself, the tone, the, the rhythms, the chord structure, I mean, that's going to be borrowed upon borrowed from generation to generation. It's going to change. It's going to shift. It's going to sound one way this generation. It's going to sound another way the next generation. Generations will be borrowing from generation from centuries ago. You, it, That's the way music is. Music is an organic being, and it's, like I said, of itself. It's something that cannot be contained. Now, lyrics, on the other hand, and I think this is where the, the argument should really, really be because you have inspirational music that can, that you know, in the Christian community, Christian, uh, contemporary Christian music, you they may never mention God. It'd be completely inspirational. And then you know, those that are all scriptural, you know, more praise and worship centered. But there are a lot of artists in the contemporary Christian circle that's white folk music would never mention God, but is received as such. And and even with text, you it, with biblical text, you know, you can you can make the same argument for the Book of Esther and for the Song of Solomon. They never mention God, but yet they are part of sacred text. They are part of the lyric of the presentation of God in written form. And we receive that. We don't question. We pull. We pull from that to empower and enable people to have a loving and personal relationship with the Creator, with the Divine, with Jesus Christ, with all of that. We do that. We draw from those scriptures. You know, we do. But you know, in the modern contemporary sense, lyrics can be tricky. You know, lyrics can really be tricky. Uh, you know, Kurt Franklin. The song Stomp. <laughs> Stomp. I'm still trying to figure out what in the world did that have to do with Jesus? What in the world did that have to do with the church? You, you understand what I'm saying? That that song is so famous. It it was the primary crossover piece. For Kurt Franklin, but those lyrics, you know, <laughs> never mentioned God. I, I don't recall. I, I got the songbook at the house, you know. <laughs> but 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 yet many churches and and many <laughs> some churches didn't even allow it to be sung. And I got to the point. I was like, look, no Kurt Franklin. And it wasn't that I didn't like Kurt Franklin. I was just tired of Kurt Franklin. <laughs> I got tired of playing Kurt Franklin songs because I'm like, man, that's all they want to sing. <laughs> they want the church to be hyped. The, the young people want to dance. They want to do all of this. <laughs> I'm sorry. Anyway, I'm getting away from my argument. My The premise was that from the earliest of times, music composers the gift of music composition given by the creator expressed in many genres but more frequently 
more recently, you know, in, split in the in the religious sphere. Now, outside of Christian, you you still had the same problem. You know, there's still there's the argument about music, the sacredness of music, um, outside of the religious of the Christian uh, Reformation. There there's that's the same argument. Um, there, for example, um, oh boy, what is his name? He was an Indian and he played the sitar. And he used a sacred Hindu instrument that was uh, part of a ritual for you know you know sacred Hindu Hindu music traditional Indian or Hindu music. Uh, Ravi Sakar, I think ah, I can't think of his name, but anyway, his daughter Nora Jones. Y'all look up Nora Jones, you'll find out who her daddy is. That's who I'm talking about. Took that instrument, and you know again, it crossed over. This was during the time when folk were experimenting anyway. So <laughs> as they were exploring the uh, Eastern philosophies and they were taking on this this idea of transcendental and meditation and all that stuff. And uh, Robbie and his instrument, you know, sitar, they, I mean, crossover. He took that sacred and crossover. Um, I have no problem with Snoop Dogg making a gospel artist, uh, a gospel album. Have no problem with it, just like um, gospel artists have no problem with secular artists singing on their music, or secular artists bringing in gospel artists to sing on theirs. Yeah, you know. Uh, at the bottom line is, it's all about making money for the most part. What's going to be most profitable for that record company? EMI is going to say if we sign this new gospel artist. Uh, what we what can we expect of him or her? How can we maximize their talent for profit? How can we bridge their their genre? If they're gospel only, how can we expose them beyond the gospel realm, the gospel genre? Who can we find for them to collaborate with that will give them a name outside of uh, <laughs> their genre? So that they can actually have a greater impact on our bottom line. That's what it boils down to. Marvin Sapp, you know, Marvin Sapp going to travel. He's going to pastor. He's he's a bishop. Church already got him. You know, they, (laughs) unless he does something extremely, and I do mean extremely bad, the church ain't going to let him go. He's going to be profiting off the church the rest of his life. So that 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 there, they ain't going nowhere. However, his record company is gonna be like, look, the church ain't pulling enough re- income for us. There aren't enough. There's not enough in that population demographic for us to really be profitable as we want to be. So here we're going, you know, we're gonna send you to co- collaborate with Toby Keith. He's a country artist. He has just as this, you know, as many selling albums as you, you guys do this collaboration. It's going to be good because now they're going to hear your gospel to his country and your country, his country to your gospel. And we going to make money. Snoop Dogg. Yeah. Snoop. Yeah. Collaborate with Shirley Caesar. 
Shirley Caesar, you, yeah, y'all work together. You you are in you are a gospel icon, Shirley Caesar. Ain't nobody gonna toss you away from working with anybody else. They gonna say she can do it. She earned the right to do it. She been doing it sixty, seventy years. She can do it. And, and, and anybody is willing to work with her, they must have earned her trust. So. Shirley, you good. Snoop, you gonna be all right because she ain't gonna let you look bad. She ain't gonna make herself look bad. She ain't gonna let you curse on her out. She ain't gonna let you. You gonna have to say all the good stuff on her. So, you you get what I'm saying? There's a very very thin line. Very very thin line. Um, is there a right or wrong approach? I don't believe there is an approach. I believe the whole point. The whole problem is that we try to box in something that cannot be boxed in. We can box in lyrics. Now, if you're going to call yourself a gospel artist, you better include the gospel message in there somewhere. You better be talking about Jesus. And you better be invoking him as the son of the, re- the resurrected son. You better be saying this is the re- and I this, you better be saying this, you know, unapologetically saying that this is your come to Jesus opportunity by way of listening to my music. Uh, and uh, oh, I forgot, you know, this just more recently, Lecrae, uh, you know, and I, I, I talked about this before, Lecrae, Chance the Rapper, and um, um, what's the other one? Gosh, um, Kendrick Lamar. Those three persons, those three guys right there are considered the epitome of the rap world across genres. Even though Lecrae has limited himself to the Christian genre, he's now saying, you know, I don't want to be limited to just Christian. You know, I'm, my music goes beyond Christianity. My influence goes beyond the sphere of the Christian Reformation and chants. Is all about saying, look, I'm unapologetic, apologetically a, a believer, and what God has done for me, I'm going to express it through my music, and you're going to feel it. Kendrick Lamar, although not directly and intentionally or uh, explicitly stating his faith, presents that will say inexplicably, look, I'm a believer. You ain't got to believe what I'm going to believe, what I believe, but my lyrics are going to reflect the death of my soul as I am in or as I exist in my faith and in my life. And that's some deep stuff. And yet, <laughs> you know, many would not. And of course, again, lyrics, you know, Kendrick Lamar, got you know, he's a bit rough around the edges with his lyrics, masterful with lyrics, very masterful with lyrics. <laughs> but you know, he'll, he'll let some go. You won't let he won't let any go. Chance, I I don't believe he's let any go. I've I've only listened to a couple of his. I I had to go back and you know listen to his mixtapes to really see how he flow. But there are other, you know, there there's uh, there's a lot. Um, this debate, this issue will never end. You know, and I say this a, a lot of times. You know, I think about. Um, jazz artist back in the day. I never forget. Uh, there was a jazz artist, um, Thelonious Monk. Thelonious Monk um, puts you in this place like, wow. 
And there were others. And I'm just John Coltrane. Oh, John Coltrane, right? John Coltrane could take you all throughout the universe. <laughs> yeah. Matter of fact, on his his uh, single "Love Supreme," a lot of people were thinking he was invoking Allah by saying "Allah Supreme," but you know that wasn't the case. But anyway, I, dig- I really digress. But I've had musical experiences that made me feel I was in I was in the very presence of the Lord, and it was nowhere in church. When I was playing music, when I was a jazz performer, when I was you know, I I feel it. I get all in my feeling. You know, I know I was I was I was right there. If I could have shouted, I would have shouted. I was at a Raising Franklin Franklin Belly and Mays concert, and I was watching one of the instrumentalists play, and I could see not him just stealing the music, but having an an existential spiritual moment in the music, climaxing with the thrill of worshiping the Lord or worshiping whatever it was. But it was a moment of worship. You know what I'm saying? And when we just confine and restrict uh, gospel music in particular, and, you know, nowadays, uh, for example, you know, we got a guitar, my guitar player at my church, and, uh, you know, they love the Canton spiritual, and, you know, they, they'll, you know, he'll get up then, and my musician, they'll be playing a lot of Canton spiritual songs, especially on when the men, um, but to hear some of the guitar riffs, and I'm like, man, you know what? That's straight blues right there. Anyway, I digress. I'm running out of time. Um, I I hope if you want um, if you want to follow up on this and put your you know your thoughts on that, you can feel free to uh, do so on the web page, zero on the Facebook page, zero network. Leave your thoughts there um, on the show page. Go to the show, like the show, follow the show. Go to the Facebook page, like the page, follow the page. Follow me on all my social media. You can find me all the way on there and. Um, Download any archive shows available on iTunes everywhere you can find them. They're available. And um, so I'm running out of time here. But um, be sure you can follow up all archive shows on Zero Today. And I appreciate your support. We got a lot we're going to try to be doing. Um, I got so many guests lined up. And I'm, I'm trying. I'm trying. I'm hoping that we can get the right guests for the right days and, you know, build up our uh, listenership. Uh, but anyway, we appreciate you. But uh, next time, I'm going to get out of here. Keep it rolling. Have a great Wednesday. This is Pastor Neil, and I'm out. God bless you. God keep you.